you have that one with that guy who was in that movie that was out last year? I was that guy in that movie that one time. And welcome to the Cinema Psych Podcast, the podcast where psychology meets film. I'm your host, Dr. Alex Swan, and today the movie is Clerks. I'm not even supposed to be here today, is a common refrain from our good buddy Dante. Yep, that is the main character of this movie. But let's back it up. Let's back it up. So this movie came out in 1994, written and directed by Kevin Smith. Yep, that Kevin Smith, Dogma, Jane Silent Bob, lots of good movies. Like this one, Clerks 2. Clerks 3 just came out last year. Like, holy crap. Kevin Smith brought this first movie to the View-esque universe. Because this production company is called View Askew. And so when he started putting in similar people from Mallrats, Chasing Amy, and Dogma, when you've got Jay and Silent Bob all the way from this clerk and and you mix it all together, it became the View Askew universe. And many of his movies have taken place in this universe. Jane Silent Bob Strike Back is probably my f- my favorite View Askew Universe movie. Uh, I don't think it needed Jane Silent Bob Strike Back again or, or whatever it was. The, the sequel that came out a few years ago. I don't think we needed that. It wasn't that funny. Uh, the first one really just kind of fit into the time period. And we should have just left it there. But this episode is about clerks. Again... Kevin Smith's first View Askew Universe film, and one of his first films just in general uh, as a director and writer, he has had a significant amount of success since then, and many of the people in this movie were friends of kevin smith and he's like can you play this role you know they're trying to people are trying to be actors and he's like you know you can play this role and of course his best friend jason muse plays his best friend jay so there there's quite a bit of lore to this movie we're probably not going to get into all of that um just to give a, a little bit of a background as far as cast goes so again, Kevin Smith uh, is in this movie as not only the writer, the director, but he plays Silent Bob, a character who does not speak. Uh, but the main character is Brian O'Halloran uh, play, playing Dante Hicks. And then his buddy who plays uh, Randall Graves, Jeff Anderson, buddy from just down the strip mall, a small little corner strip mall that they've got going on of the quick stop and the movie rental place. Uh, Brian O'Halloran, as Dante Hicks, plays the clerk of the quick stop. A few other people <clears throat> that uh, probably didn't really show up again in a lot of stuff, but um, Marilyn uh, Gigliotti, I think is how you pronounce her last name. She plays Dante's current girlfriend, although they seem to break up and then um i don't know jason muse is jay and you see him and then a bunch of random people uh, in in a series of vignettes in a day so the plot is pretty simple plot is actually very simple in fact uh there's not much that actually is a through line it's a day in the life of somebody who hates their job Day in the life of somebody who hates their job. 
and he has a friend and his friend hates his job. And he has these two guys, probably stoners, selling drugs out the front of his. I mean, there are two through lines. One, it's a single day and Dante isn't supposed to be there. And he sees that his ex-girlfriend, Caitlin, is getting married. And so he has some relationship commitment issues that follow. And, you know, Randall doesn't help. Randall doesn't help at all. They just commiserate. That's pretty much all they do is commiserate. So let's jump in to the episode and find out what it means to be a clerk. My guest host today is Nick Baldwin. Nick is an industrial organizational psychologist and faculty member at Roosevelt University in Chicago. In 2020, he created an IO movie nights for people at all levels of interest to come to watch movies relating to IO topics and discuss the movies afterward. He has co-authored articles on the use of popular culture in teaching IO. Nick's research has included both I and O topics with most experience in competency modeling and measuring affective employee constructs. Nick, welcome to the show. Thanks, Alex. Uh, It's great to be able to talk movies with you again. Yes, I'm happy to have you on. So for the listeners who don't know, Nick has a podcast and he'll plug that at the end of the show. Um, and I was, uh, lucky to be on that show back in December. We recorded in early December and we recorded a discussion on relationships and the film of it was seasonal festive. It's a wonderful life. (laughs) So, um, we'll plug that episode at the end of the show, but that's how Nick and I, uh, have had a chance to already talk about movies. And so I am so happy to have you on my show to talk more about uh, not just the movie itself, Clerks, but also the psychological concepts that you can find while using Clerks in teaching or just, you know, random, some random person standing out front of a convenience store <laughs> trying to sell you drugs and you are all about telling them about industrial organizational psychology. So welcome to the show. And I like to get my guests started with a fairly hard question, which is, what are your thoughts on film in general? That is a hard question. And based on that, do you use film or... If you do use film in your teaching, why film? First off, I do always talk about IO psychology to anyone who will stand around long enough to listen. (laughs) That includes random drug dealers in front of convenience stores. Uh, (laughs) But I do use film fairly often, as I've written about it a little bit. I I like to use clips more often than whole movies, Mm -hmm. as much as I actually think um, I'm struggling right now because I'm teaching a stress class. And there's like certain whole movies that I want to show to give the whole whole breadth yeah. of that yep um but you can't really take as much time to do that in a college class at right. least i can't in good conscience anyway <laughs> um but I, I do do i do use scenes mm-hmm. uh, and i like using it because i think that film is a medium that almost everyone can get on board with most of us experience yeah. it at some point in our lives some of us have uh, deeper histories with it than others mm-hmm. uh but much as my podcast with my wife is about is it's sort of film can open our minds to different ways of thinking. Uh, And to me, that's kind of always the goal of teaching anyhow. And so if you can use that then to articulate something and use it as an example, um, you know, I'm sure, Alex, you've used kind of case study examples where there's movies or things like that, where some academic like us has tried to write some story that articulates an example. Yeah. And we're just not as good a writers. So if you could just find an example that's you know written and acted by people who are much better than us, then to me that hits home in a much more meaningful way. Yeah, the craft of acting does yeah. play a role in this. And you know what? I I don't tend to mention this in my film pedagogy talks, uh, explaining why I use film and why I think you should too. 
But yeah, it the acting really plays a role. And it doesn't feel like you are um, staring or ogling at somebody who actually is struggling with, not to say that there's anything wrong with that, but like it feels less deeply personal mm. and you can still experience the uh, the emotion, the behavior, uh, the theming under the guise of film, which is also a visual medium. So... I like that. I'm going to I'm going to put that one in my back pocket. I I really enjoy that answer. <laughs> so, well now now I got to I got to I got to interject now. I'm sorry, but I'm curious. I know the jury's still out on mirror neurons, but I mm. often disclose when I'm making the case too. It's like we actually you mentioned feeling the person's feelings. I think that's something that happens when we watch movies. Oh, yeah, for sure. I think uh, and it and and empathy definitely. Maybe not mirror neurons, <laughs> but definitely our capacity for empathy and putting ourselves in other people's shoes in their minds as best we can, especially if we've experienced something similar. So, I'm I'm imagining a, a person who's experienced grief in some way watching a death in a movie. Um, yeah. where the death is very close to how the the the, the real person uh, died. That yeah. that's what I would say, and and our capacity for empathy, which is a learned trait in some ways. Um, you have to you have to work at it. It's a skill to yeah. build, and so I think that sh- that would represent individual differences in how films are perceived, and. I mean, when it comes down to it, film is a human medium Mm -hmm. and um, we express ourselves in many different ways through film and in film. And if it's a human medium, then it's psychology. So, boom. (laughs) (laughs) Mic drop. drop. Exactly. (laughs) So uh, and and I understand um, the the time constraints and using clips to be a little bit more powerful of a uh, teaching vector than using whole films. Totally, totally understand that. And I think the vast majority of instructors are in that same boat with you. Yeah. Right. Because. It's a quick and dirty example. Um, I, I One example that I, I constantly go back to is I don't think I'd ever use this movie in teaching just because it's a comedy and it and it does a lot of things wrong. But talking boy, about clerks specifically what I'm talking about clerks specifically, not clerks. Not use this. Oh, OK, not clerks. Sorry, uh, sorry. I general. probably should have of did a bit of a would... better preface. The um, statement you just made, I would say about clerks, and we'll get into that. But anyway, continue. okay, no, 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 that that I like that. But no, my, the movie I was referencing is what about Bob and the okay. uh, I'm sailing scene where he's uh, attached <laughs> to the the mast, the the forward mast or whatever it's called, and um, it's a great great thirty seconds of flooding in uh, treating a phobia. So great little thing, but um, yeah. yeah, I, I think. It fits with Clerks, too, because there's a lot of weird stuff in the movie that very dated things, <laughs> very dated things, just and and non sequiturs, like a lot yes. of the stuff with Jay and Silent Bob don't have anything to do with the narrative. They're just Correct. they're just there. So I don't know. So let's let's pivot to okay. Clerks here, um, because I'd like to know. When I asked you to join me on my show, I asked for some suggestions on movies to chat about because people come from different perspectives in psych. And yeah. I knew that you were an IO psychologist, so it, which is one of my least strong suits. So sure. finding films that IO is a big part of, not just people working in an office environment, but where you can really grab hold of the uh concepts and so you offered clerks so give us a a sense of uh, broad ideas why you chose clerks for our chat today yeah so you 
touched on it a little bit there, actually, when you mentioned not just in an office setting. Mm -hmm. So I know you've had at least a couple of guests on before that have talked about IO Mm -hmm. and and IO psychology. What we do is basically we try to make work suck less by (laughs) what we know of human behavior. You know, work's always going to suck, but we can make it suck less. The thing is, a lot of IO. (laughs) Yeah, right. Um, A lot of IO ends up focusing on sort of white collar jobs, those office jobs. Uh, I think office space might have been one that you covered before. It is every IO's favorite because we talk about the Bobs being IO's, mm-hmm. but it also, I think we as a field don't pay enough credit to the sort of quote unquote blue collar or mundane jobs that are mm-hmm. not really going to be like a quote unquote career, but you have people like these clerks that they may end up being clerks until they're, you know, if you follow the rest of the movies, they're, they're into their forties and fifties and they're still just, you know, clerks. And, you know, even I give that I give that qualifier of just clerks, but that's like already placing a judgment. And so I wanted to pick something that I think articulates uh, a bit more of just sort of the every man, the every day and and pointing out how all of these concepts that we care about within our field of IO psychology still are there uh, in those kinds of jobs that don't get the light shined on them enough. That is a, a great sentiment. Um, regarding the shining the light because there are always these glib or quick scenes of clerks in a in a movie or cashiers in a movie and we don't pay them any attention but this one's about that so yeah. i like that that's great so just in the view universe, Nick, before okay. we jump into the psych concepts, I wanted to get your sense uh, or wanted to get a sense of where Clerks fits in to your ranking in the view universe. Ooh. Um, so I always have heard it called the Jersey Saga. I would say, so this is the first time I'd watched it in years. Um, I, I, in terms of like its actual rankings against the others uh i definitely put it before uh jane's or like underneath rather jane silent bob strike back jane silent mm-hmm. bob strike back is going to be up higher all right dogma was <laughs> yeah fan um dogma was the first one i ever encountered and it was a time in my life when i was very sort of anti-organized religion especially but religion in general mm-hmm. so i loved you know the whole poking fun at dogmatic faith and things of right. that nature. Um, so that being my onboarding, I would put further up ahead too. I, I've been, I think I'd probably put this though above mall rats and it's been a long time since I've seen chasing Amy. I remember not loving as much of the comedy in chasing Amy, but I liked how chasing Amy kind of made me grow or question relationships and question the nature of sexuality and things like that. But I imagine speaking of dated references, if one were to go back now and watch Chasing Amy, which is all about <laughs> sort of a straight man basically trying to convince a lesbian to date him instead. Yeah. Uh, dated won't even warrant the feelings that I would have about <laughs> that movie if I were to try and watch yeah, it. Yeah, there may be some uh, there may be some res- residual ick yeah. left over from that uh, premise. And that conceit that Kevin Smith had in the the mid nineties, yeah. yeah. The, but I think our rankings are pretty darn similar, to be honest okay. with you. I I did not like the follow. I thought Clerks Two was fine, but yeah. I did not I did not like the sequel to Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back. Nor did I like uh, hearing that they made a Clerks Three, which came out last year. <laughs> I haven't watched either of the two of those because I was afraid of that. <laughs> Same response. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, now, I don't know uh, if I will ever be able to get to see Clerks 3 because it's, mm. you know, behind a paywall at the moment. But I'm morbidly curious what all of these old, older actors are doing, <laughs> you know, almost 30 years later. That's yeah. wild, right? Yeah. I'm not even supposed to be here today. All right. Let's jump into a. Uh, our chat here of the concepts that we could use or do use in our teaching of this. And so Nick, I'd like to give you the opening salvo here. So what are the IO broadly defined 
themes and ideas and concepts that you find in Clerks and uh, and specifically do share with us the specific clips that you use to highlight these ideas. Yeah, so uh, there's a couple of them. The biggest ones that are kind of recurring in this movie in a very obvious way are what's known as OCBs or CWBs and IOs. We especially love all of our acronyms because we have long <laughs> words like industrial organizational psychology. So an OCB is a stands for organizational citizenship behavior. It's mm -hmm. like going sort of above and beyond what is technically required of your job. Okay. And a lot of what Dante's doing in this film falls into OCBs. The fact that he kind of comes in after he already closed the night before. Yeah. Um, you know, is coming in on his day off. The, the the mantra, you know, I'm not even supposed to be here today. Like that whole idea sort of encapsulates um, somebody doing an OCB, although clearly for Dante doing it kind of begrudgingly or out of some sense of, of obligation rather than um, any sort of, uh, uh, you know, like of the job. <laughs> and then the other one is uh, CWBs stands for, and these oftentimes are sort of seen as almost mirrors of each other. Like okay. these two concepts kind of came about around the same time. Okay. And so CWBs stands for counterproductive work behaviors. Gotcha. Um, and so it's doing bad things, you know, and it ranges everything from time theft to stealing supplies to uh, committing flat out, uh, you know, sabotage of one's company or things of that nature. And so gotcha. I I'm sure we'll get into them, but there's just a laundry list of CWBs that take place in this movie between Randall, especially and <laughs> Randall. Dante and their sort of days. Yeah, Rand Randall, like his entry is a CWB. The fact that he's just strolling into work 30 minutes late you know um, and has a conversation with somebody as a customer <laughs> yes <laughs> i bet you a hundred dollars to customers yeah yes. i bet you a hundred dollars that uh you won't get that movie tonight wow <laughs> well i was just gonna say the other thing i do that i actually probably use this movie specifically for with scenes more is there's lots of conversations about the nature of work like especially yeah. between dante and randall they're just kind of talking about their lives and talking about how work fits into it and talking about how important their jobs are um and so i share those sometimes and i think it gets people thinking about it i also i'm a big fan of especially the whole um return of the jedi uh, uh death star conversation like that is so meta for me because it is these guys who are in a movie about work talking about a movie and the work that didn't happen on camera but would be the nature of work in that universe and where's the ethical obligation uh, regarding someone choosing to take that job? And that is that even is an IO topic. And it's yeah. just, again, layered in there. So I like a lot of that stuff in those conversations as well. Can you imagine being halfway decent to the customer sometimes? Let me boil your car. May I be blunt with you? If you must. We are employees of the Quick Stop Convenience and RST Video, respectively. As such, we have certain obligations, though they may seem cruel and unusual, does mean manning the store until closing. I see, so playing hockey and attending wakes, these practices are standard operating procedures. There's a difference. Those are obligations. Obligations that couldn't have been met at any other date. Now, renting videos, that's just gratuitous, not to mention illogical, being that you work at a video store. Are you open? Yes. You know what? I don't think I care for your rationale. Well, it's going to have to do being that it's my car up for a crest. Can I help you? A pack of cigarettes. So what's your point? My point is, you're a clerk paid to do a job. You can't just do anything you want while you're working. Space alien revealed as head of Time Warner. Report stock increase. They print any kind of shit in this paper. They certainly do. Three dollars. So your argument is that title dictates behavior. What? The reason you won't let me use your car is because I have a title and a job description. I'm supposed to follow it, right? Exactly. Yeah, I saw one one time that said, the next week the world is ending. And in the next week's paper they said, we were miraculously saved at the zero hour by a koala fish mutant bird. <laughs> Crazy shit. So I'm no more responsible for my decisions here than, say, a death squad soldier in Bosnia? Oh, no, that's stretching it. You're not being asked to slay children or anything. Yeah, not yet. Four. Two reasons. One, I hate it when people can't shut up about the stupid tabloid headlines. Oh, Jesus. And two, to prove a point, title does not dictate behavior. What? If title dictated my behavior as a clerk serving the public, I wouldn't be allowed to spit water at that guy. 
but I did. So my point is that people dictate their own behavior. Even though I work in a video store, I choose to go rent movies at Big Choice. Agreed? You are a danger to both the dead and the living. I like to think I'm a master of my own destiny. Please get the hell out of here. I know I'm your hero. Okay, so let's talk about uh, more of these OCBs. Uh, so, as you said, Randall comes in on his day off. I'm not even supposed to be here today. Yes. And um, he goes in. He makes coffee. We in this opening montage, he makes coffee. He newspaper uh, gets newspapers. Even steals newspapers out of a newsstand <laughs> to then sell in his yep. store. Yep. Um. He even uses like uh, was it nail polish or like leather polish? Some kind of polish. Shoe polish. Shoe, Shoe polish. Because everyone's you. commenting about it all day. Yep. Yeah, because it smells bad. Um, mm -hmm. And he got it on it. You know, he had to create a sign that says, "I like, we're open, I promise, or something like that. I assure you we are open. I yes, assure yes. you we are open. And uh, and he's just, he's just sitting there. Any other ones that you spot in this movie? Uh, as OCBs? So, um, the big one is also that uh, is kind of related to just him coming in in the first place. The fact that he even chooses to continue around and close the store when he calls his boss who promised to be in there at 12 mm -hmm. and the boss has gone up to Vermont has disappeared mm -hmm. like that. That's a choice right there. He is clearly kind of going uh, above and beyond. And I actually think that's a really good example, too, of what sometimes happens with employers and lately there's been a lot of talk of this whole quiet quitting mm -hmm. phenomena and what quiet quitting really is if you understand it from an io concept perspective is employees deciding that their employers have not taken good enough care of them mm -hmm. to keep committing ocbs right so an organization citizen behavior is something you're going above and beyond and sure. you kind of only do that for a company that you know has treated you well right yeah, but companies do often put us in a position where it feels like the OCB is the thing we have to do. Like we don't actually have a choice. Yeah. So the mere fact that we have this new term for it, quiet quitting, it's the implication that like, you know, you're not being a good enough employee because you're no longer going above and beyond what your salary is. Yeah. And this particular employer knows Dante well enough, clearly, that if he just puts him in the position that Dante is going to stick around and, and, and keep the, the business open. Uh, and so, again, making what is should be an organizational citizenship behavior feel like it is just part of the job. Yeah, I think I'm, I was going to talk about this later, but I think it's worth mentioning now. I think Dante has severe self-esteem issues. Oh, yeah. Um, and so he engages in the behavior because he think it'll he thinks it'll help him later. But he also doesn't want to disappoint anyone because yeah. he has such low self-esteem. That's that's a that's a good one. Uh, I don't I didn't even recognize that. But as you were talking, it's like he completely gives up the any semblance of going and having a hockey game at a regular uh, rink as opposed <laughs> to the roof of the stores. Uh, but that is kind of that is really funny that they play hockey up on the roof like with all the things that would be on a roof, I don't know how you could play hockey on it. You know? <laughs> I, I thought that every time I watched this movie, I think to myself, you, you don't have enough clear space <laughs> to Those to, are to just like this. immovable blockades, right? You just have big <laughs> air conditioner units up there or whatever. Yeah. Oh, yeah. that's so Exhaust funny. pipes. Um, I also think that... Go ahead, sorry. To your point about quiet quitting, I, uh, as you were saying this, I, I thought to myself, academia is full of um, unrequited OCBs. Oh, God. Uh, because we are asked to do a lot of stuff within mm -hmm. the scope of our jobs that um, many of us don't have the training for and aren't, even when there is training, it's like a day. As yeah. opposed to any ongoing training, like being on a committee and running how a school works and knowing about <laughs> what to do about curriculum and, um, you know, assessing every one of your peers. I'm just saying all the jobs that I, I've had in yep, the past. Yep, right. Yep. And service recruiting is on weekend recruiting. events. Exactly. Yes. It's, it's like how much of that is covered 
by salary or whatever, or even contingent faculty who are paid per credit hour and still asked to do all of these things. Yeah, my wife was recently asked as an adjunct to help with the curriculum planning for an entire college of education. Yeah. Yeah, that's rough. That's <laughs> that is definitely a um request for an OCB and <laughs> you're going to get a finger instead. <laughs> I that's that's how I feel about it. She's a much nicer person than you and I. She went through with it. She helped out. <laughs> oh, no. All right. Well, more power to her. I hope that helps her in the future. She can put it on. A, and it, she can put it on a CV. There you go. Yes. Um, and, she, and she keeps track of all that stuff. But nice. I actually think this also your illusion here is sort of that like there's this expectation and you're this always piling on. and There's always more. Mm-hmm. And academia is definitely guilty of doing this Yeah. Um, to most, if not all of us. But I think that it's not unique in the sense of uh, the only place that does it. Sure. And I hear that. The funny thing is, and this is part of how I think OCBs and CWBs become a mirror of each other, mm-hmm. because they also relate to this concept of sort of organizational justice. And so organizational justice broadly being your perceived sense of how just your organization is with its decision making with its policies procedures with mm-hmm. how it uh, rewards behaviors etc and when you begin to feel it is unjust that is one of the strongest predictors of cwbs now beginning to engage yeah so the reason i really also like this movie is we've got the ocb of i'm gonna stick around and not officially close the store because you've screwed me and i'm now stuck here mm-hmm but it's immediately followed by the CWB of I am now going to, you know, kind of half have the place open because I'm doing a hockey game on the roof. So I've now got my buddies potentially damaging our company property of the building. I also start handing them away free Gatorades. So I'm yeah. now like essentially stealing from the company right. to give it to my friends. And it's all in this give and take this relationship with your organization of like you feel wronged by the organization well you're gonna kind of just bring it back and get your you know get your money's worth so to speak in some other way oh i like that they they say so much but they never tell you if it's any good are either one of these any good sir what are either one of these any good i don't watch movies well, have you heard anything about either one of them? I find it's best to stay out of other people's affairs. You mean you haven't heard anybody say anything about either one of these? Nope. Well, what about these two? Oh, they suck. These are the same two movies? You weren't paying any attention. No, I wasn't. I don't think your manager would appreciate it. I don't appreciate your ruse, ma'am. I beg your pardon? Your ruse, your cunning attempt to trick me. I was only pointing out that you weren't paying any attention to what I was saying. Uh, I hope it feels good. You hope what feels good? I hope it feels so good to be right. There's nothing more exhilarating than pointing out the shortcomings of others, is there? On the the topic of CWBs, let's pivot to Randall. We've we've spent a lot okay. of time talking about he, Dante <laughs> is the main character, but let's talk about Randall because Jeff Anderson Ooh, plays the um, best slacker that I've seen in a movie in a long time. Even rewatching it, you know, being having it be fresh in my mind with other slackers of the of the past, <laughs> I think uh, Randall is one of the top ones and. and he does have a job. So maybe that puts him out of the running as a true slacker. But what are his CWBs as, you know, at least the movie clerk? Sure. Um, so, I mean, we, I think, already talked about him showing up late. Yeah. Like, right off the bat. So good. Literally, his character is pretty much top to bottom CWBs. <laughs> um, he... At some point, a, a customer is complaining to him for his behavior, and his response to that customer is to tear up their membership card, uh, basically saying, you know, get out of here because I'm not dealing with any complaints. Um, they Both of them are almost at, never actually in the store, even on times when they've got it set up. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
Randall is also through this movie, and this is one of the things that feels a little weird at times and certainly dated, is saying absolutely inappropriate things on a regular basis, if not to the customers, then at the very least in their proximity. <laughs> and you know what I mean? within earshot. Yeah. Yeah. The ordering of several pornography videos uh, in uh, front of uh-huh. the mother and her young daughter. Yeah, it's rough. It's rough. Yeah, rough. and just not not caring. And you know that he's like, you can tell from the way the character is written and played that he's also kind of doing this out of spite some of those times. Mm-hmm. You know, including later on, not only does he order the videos and say the names in front of them, but later when he's like watching the store for Dante, he's just, he's got a TV where he's got porn on the TV for yeah. like anyone who walked into the store, it would be there, you know? Um, so like there's layers to that of like, you know, arguably time theft, but also just inappropriate behavior, uh, misconduct around customers, all kinds of things. Um, and then, yeah. So those are the ones that I have specifically for Randall as the big ones. I've got a couple of others from others, but uh, yeah, I mean, it's, Pick a scene that Randall's in and you're probably viewing some CWB. <laughs> Isn't that wild, though? Like, yes. just like pick any scene and bam, he's doing a CWB. I, I, I mean, if that's not the most 90s character, <laughs> <laughs> especially from some counterculture guy like at, like Kevin Smith. Especially yes. in the uh, in the '90s and and early 2000s of just trying to be as profane and I mean I remember Jay and Silent Bob. Let's go back to this movie. I was telling Nick earlier, like <laughs> constantly go back to this movie. But Jay and Silent Bob, like constant f word, and like in 2003, that was a pretty raunchy movie. Of course, raunchier movies have come out since then, but right. that was that was pretty wild. And you would not have your, you know, your hangovers and your bridesmaids, I don't think, if you didn't have Jay and Silent Bob's and, and Randall saying some of the crass stuff that they yeah, say in this movie. Right. Um, and and back to Jay and Silent Bob in this movie. Any IO things that that jump out to you on those two characters, since they're essentially the last uh, the I would say the last third of the characterizations in this in this movie yeah i mean (laughs) so it's funny i didn't have any notes about them but i suppose because i did have a note elsewhere about dirty jobs okay Um, and so one of the other things that sometimes gets studied in uh io is the idea of sort of ethical versus unethical jobs or there's sometimes there's a really famous article that you know smartly kind of uh, named itself after that TV show that used to exist. And yeah. so the concept of dirty jobs is just sort of anything um, untoward. And there's this idea of like physically uh, dirty there versus morally dirty versus okay. ethically dirty, you know. And so Jane Silent Bob engage in a form of employment, if you want to call it employment, that uh, self-employment. You know, would, yeah, it's, it's but it is by society standards, not um, you know, ideally they're dealing drugs. It's, it's, it's definitely an amoral sort of by that standard. Having said that, one could argue that they are, um, clearly, uh, strongly motivated. They stick around all day. They, they, they never leave their post. I mean, they're actually more reliable for the job that they are trying to perform than, yeah. you know, Randall or Dante are. So <laughs> yeah, I guess it gets to both of those things. <laughs> I, I love it how steadfast they are in their their craft, just randomly talking up people who come to either store and uh, are successful at dealing drugs, but also successful at making people believe stupid stuff. Yes. <laughs> the, the Russian... The berserker. Yeah. <laughs> yes. yes. The fact that you hear berserker... Uh, in the background of some scenes is amazing, by the way. Uh, that's some a wonderful filmmaking right there. But yeah, just random stuff. And, and they stay there and they have a solid, they have a solid base. Randall and Dante dislike that they are that steadfast. Yes. And I think to some degree, that's probably out of so like I could this is I literally I wrote down those two things I wanted to focus on, but I can pull the IO concepts out of everything. 
So one of the theories within motivation is uh, at work that we use is self-determination theory. And that's based on the idea that a person will be more intrinsically motivated the more that they have three things. Autonomy, which is the most biggest one here. Uh, competence, feeling like you kind of know what you're doing in your job. Uh, and relatedness, feeling like you have some larger meaning and or you're related to the, the people around you. I think that you probably have some argument about Dante and Randall are um, jealous of Jay and Silent Bob because they oh. they have a level of autonomy in their job mm-hmm. that Randall and um, particularly Dante, who, as we mentioned, is kind of the most sensitive, mm-hmm. uh, doesn't. He feels that, you know, he, he has this obligation. He, anytime he does anything other than that, he's violating it. Uh, whereas, you know, Jay and Silent Bob or any other entrepreneur out there mm-hmm. uh, kind of gets to go off and, and live their lives. Yeah. And I think that speaks very much to Dante's overall malaise to steal a word from one of the title cards in the film. Mm-hmm. Um, he feels as though his life is going nowhere. He feels especially as though his job is sort of just he has no autonomy. He has no way of doing things. He has no sense of competence. Uh, in the work that he does. And so losing both autonomy and competence makes any person demotivated in their job. So, Oh, I gotcha. Okay. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense uh, when you compare the two clerks to the two of Jay and Silent Bob. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. Now, the first one was completed and fully operational before the Rebels destroyed it. We'll blow it up. Give credit where credit's due. And the second one was still being built when they blew it up. Compliments of Lando Calrissian. Something just never sat right with me that second time around. I could never put my finger on it, but something just wasn't right. And you figured it out. The first Death Star was manned by the Imperial Army. The only people on board were stormtroopers, dignitaries, Imperials. Basically. So when they blew it up, no problem. Evil's punished. And the second time around? The second time around, it wasn't even done being built yet. It was still under construction. So? So a construction job of that magnitude would require a hell of a lot more manpower than the Imperial Army had to offer. I bet they brought independent contractors in on that thing. Plumbers, aluminum siders, roofers. They're not just Imperials, is that what you're getting at? Exactly. In order to get it built quickly and quietly, they'd hire anybody that can do the job. Think the average stormtrooper knows how to install a toilet main? All they know is killing in white uniforms. <laughs> Alright, so they bring in independent contractors. Why are you so upset at its destruction? All those innocent contractors brought in to do the job were killed. Casualties of a war they had nothing to do with. All right, look, you're a roofer. Some juicy government contract comes your way. You got a wife and kids, the two-story in suburbia. This is a government contract, which means all sorts of benefits. Along come these left-wing militants and blast everything within a three-mile radius with their lasers. You didn't ask for that. You have no personal politics. You're just trying to scrape out a living. Excuse me, I don't mean to interrupt, but uh, what are you talking about? The ending of Return of the Jedi. My friend here is trying to convince me that any independent contractors who were working on the uncompleted Death Star were innocent victims when they were destroyed by the Rebels. Well, I'm a contractor myself. I'm a roofer. Done and ready home improvements. And speaking as a roofer, I can tell you a roofer's personal politics comes into play heavily when choosing jobs. Like when? Three weeks ago, I was offered a job up in the hills. A beautiful house. Tons of property. A simple reshingling job. They told me if I could finish it in one day, I would double my price. Then I realized whose house it was. Whose house was it? Dominic Bambino's. Babyface Bambino? The gangster? The same. The money was right, but the risk was too high. I knew who he was, and based on that, I turned the job over to a friend of mine. Based on personal. I wanted to touch on the discussions of on the nature of work, and especially what you had mentioned before which was their Dante and Randall's conversation of Return of the Jedi. Uh, Listener, (laughs) you cannot see what is behind uh, Nick here, but he's got an an awesome poster, which I am very jealous of, which are quite a few, uh, quite a few. Is that like a slanted ceiling or something? It is. It is. Oh. We're in a, a Cape Cod type of house, so it's it slants on each side. Oh, okay. And so each slant has a ton of different various Star Wars things. Yes. <laughs> so from what I can see, it's just a really awesome shot of Jedi's and Sith's with their lightsabers extended. It's really cool. And he's got a bunch of Funko Pops behind him as well um, from Star Wars. The cute recording studio. Got to have a good Marvel. background. For yeah, when, exactly. Know, we do videos on I, I I dig it. <laughs> Mine, not so much. Um, but uh, so he's got this behind and he's also got 
a tattoo on his arm of the Rebel Alliance symbol. So let's talk about, let's have our own conversation about the poor workers. But (laughs) I also want to add that this could be applied to, you know, Rogue One uh, or even uh, A New Hope because that's another blown up Death Star with probably a lot of independent contractors on it too. Uh-huh. So the 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 conversation Randall and Dante are having uh, about the nature of work, which you mentioned, Nick, is um, what happens to the poor innocent souls on the Death Star Two uh, after the Rebel Alliance, and specifically, this is all on Lando's head, okay, <laughs> and me and me and Num, me and Num. They they both did it together, okay? Court court marshals, tri- military tribunals. <laughs> we we got to investigate him for war crimes. War crimes, the civilians. massivest war yeah. crime I could ever imagine uh, <laughs> is blowing up a Death Star, and so we have these independent contractors who die on this this Death Star. So, what are the two positions Dante and Randall take uh, in this debate? And then and then sure. you and I, you and I will go at it. So for anyone who is enough of a nerd about this, like me, there have been things since keep in mind that this movie came out when we only had the original trilogy. Sure. And there have yep. been elements now that would show the the war even worse than independent contractors. The Empire was probably using slaves. Sure. Anything, yeah. Which adds a whole other layer to the ethics that I don't want to ignore because that's um obviously much worse in terms of you know the course of evil in the galaxy sure uh but for the sake of the argument and the premise here being that it was actual paid employees and it is like any major structural work so essentially uh the position randall is taking is that this is like any public works if somebody's building a bridge or you know the government decides that they want to construct some brand new city because that's effectively you know the size of what the death star is (laughs) yeah it's not just going to be done by actual employees who are zealots of that government. Yep. But instead, they're going to have to hire out a bunch of people who are just taking a job. And so the idea here being that it is unethical and from Randall's perspective and, un- and unfair and-, and bad that the rebels actually kill a bunch of innocents who were just taking a job. You know, imagine you were just living your life. Yeah. You, were, you were taking the jobs that come available to you. Yeah. Uh, and... This job comes along, but it comes with these risks. And then, you know, you might lose yourself or your family, whatever. Uh, Dante basically is saying, like, there's no way that's possible. Anyone who was on the Death Star knew what they were getting into if they weren't. <laughs> with a uh, name you know, like Death Star. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes. Um, yeah. And so Dante's saying, like, ah, oh, there's no way anybody works on that without kind of knowing what they were getting themselves into. And so that becomes mm-hmm. then the debate of, you know, is the nature of work and the contracts that we choose to take at what point does your do your ethics come into it you know and we could apply that now to literally any contract situation that a person might enter into you know uh choosing to take work from someone on a contract basis how much do your own personal ethics you know come into that so so who do you agree with more that yeah oh man you are asking the tough questions now alex Mm -hmm. um Mm -hmm. so i think so i would previously have completely agreed with randall especially because it's sort of the first time that it kind of makes you think about oh you know uh just just really flipping it on your head it's the first time you ever think about the possibility right yeah that makes you be like like, oh shit this is something that happens within the canon of this universe and so you know, it, it it adds to the logic or it feeds the gaps between the logic of the yes. universe. And at this time, there were already three, three. It was a franchise already. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. And because it, it was the third. Yeah, exactly. So there's, it's well established. Mm-hmm. Um, While there is some random roofer who comes along to help Dante's case uh, and that kind of feels shoehorned in, and that actor is maybe not as good because we're talking about an independent film. Uh, <laughs> yes, the case I actually yes. now, 
as I think about it, as someone who has taken contract work in the past, and I think mm-hmm. about the nature of the world that we live in now, where there are evil forces, in my opinion, like the Empire, and and if given the opportunity, I would explicitly, personally choose not to work for those evil forces if I knew whom was hire me. Yeah. Um, I kind of tend to side now on the, the side of the contractor. Of like, you definitely have to think about when you are choosing to take a contract job, um, you know, what what ethical ramifications does that come with? At yeah. least for those that you are aware of, which if you're familiar with the universe, uh, they would definitely be aware of kind of the things that are that are happening to some degree. Yeah. Anyhow. What about I, you? Alex? I think um, so. I, I have always agreed with with um, Dante and the okay. contractor that comes in um, because I mean, going a step further uh-huh. uh, in in into like what this is in reference or like what Randall and, and Dante are talking about in reference to what George Lucas was making a point about. Yep. Um, so the idea here is that the empire is supposed to be like the Nazis and we have as a society harangued and prosecuted pretty much everyone who is associated with doing something for or with the, um, Hitler government Mm -hmm. and, and the, the progression of Nazism there. So even if you were not a member of the military, and you worked at the concentration camp, you worked at Auschwitz or you worked at Dachau, you were in as much trouble as the enlisted or armed officers of the German um, military at the time. You were also in trouble for what happened during the Holocaust, for example. And so for anyone who didn't know, I mean, the, the newest Star Wars um uh, titles are are exploring you know the nature of what it was like to be a part of the yeah. empire and everything like that like andor for example and what it what people really understood about the empire so i've always agreed with randall's take or excuse me uh dante's take on this because they probably did know at least somewhat what mm-hmm. they were getting into. And I'm and I'm not and I'm not trying to I mean I'm being glib when I say, you know, with a name like Death Star, uh, because <laughs> it was likely known or even rumored yeah. that uh it was uh called the Death Star, and this is the second one and, and all of that. But my final point comes not thirty years later when we meet. FN2187 or whatever Finn's <laughs> designation is. And how we learn later that he was a a, a, tr- a trash stormtrooper. He was um he assisted in the construction of the trash compactor systems of Starkiller Base or whatever it was. And so he yep. was very he he knew that quite a bit. And he was garbage um, man. So I contend that all of the work was being done by stormtroopers, and that's my oh. canon. <laughs> you just blew my mind, Alex. My brain did not even, even after you mentioned Finn, I was like, where's he going? Okay, sure. You got me. You got me there. All right. Well done, sir. Well, applaud. 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 Oh, uh, no applause there. Um, I literally just came up with that right now. Uh, I love it. I'm totally using that the next time it comes <laughs> up. I mean, it's a great conversation in the movie, like, yeah. uh, because if you know Kevin Smith now, you know that he's just the biggest comic book nerd. He's always been a fan of Batman. I mean, he mm-hmm. calls himself Fat Man, and his podcast uh-huh. was called Fat Man on Batman. So. Yeah. He's always been this nerd's nerd. Uh, and that's quite of that's quite why we have like followed his work since right. the 90s. And so this particular conversation that Randall and Dante are having about the Death Star was only a conversation that was happening among nerds. Right. Uh-huh. A group, I might add, that was vilified and uh made fun of for decades even through the 90s oh yeah 
um, with and and only some movies were like Revenge of the Nerds and Revenge of the Nerds Two and all that stuff because it was about time that nerds got. But it was always portrayed. Nerds were always portrayed as weaklings and smart but lacking social skills and all of that. It was very conflating of what a nerd actually was. And Mm -hmm. nerds haven't really gotten their due until this like last decade. Yeah. You and I didn't grow up with any Henry Cavills who, you know, could could nerd out about things like Warhammer, but then look like Henry Cavill. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) And if those people existed, they kept those those interests to themselves for fear of, of ruining the other kind of cred that they had the reputation that they had of being a a hunk and uh yeah i i I feel like the conversation that randall and dante have sure are among two guys that kind of know a lot about a little bit Mm -hmm. um and in randall's case he knows a lot about movies Uh and his brain is focused on movies on a daily basis but that's a conversation nerds have. Kind of like a conversation we're having right now. <laughs> I was going to say, it's so meta. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, and, you know, before we had mediums like this and there was this lower, uh, you know, uh, oh God, uh, barrier to, to be able to have these conversations in a public way. And, and before it was more broadly, like you said, accepted. Um, I mean, I, I, Personally, I probably am young enough that I'm on more of the tail end of this almost even, but I absolutely like into college was embarrassed to want to talk to people about, you know, Superman or those, you know, or Star Wars or things of that nature. Right. Um, yeah. yeah. And it's it's how we were how, how, how we were at least raised. I'm glad to see it's something I think has changed. So. Yes, I do think it is something that has changed. I mean, I just I see it in my son quite a bit like every, it's not it's not weird to really enjoy Minecraft. Yeah. Yeah. As, as a game that you play, but also like building stuff and there's like, Oh yeah, there's Minecraft over there. Oh yeah. There's, I love Minecraft too. And it's like, Oh, the, wow. That's amazing because you know, it's not like it's a, a first person shooter game that of course everyone's supposed to like. Right. Um, but it's like a creative and it's a creative game that teaches you about, a little bit about life and it's, it's nice kind of like what comic books and cartoons did for us growing up or movies or in, in, in this way movies yeah yeah not to just you know like that's kind of what our podcast is all about yeah right right yeah, yeah, yeah talking yeah. about you know yeah um also <laughs> a little bit of cartoons and <laughs> <laughs> yes all of the above frankly so <laughs> don't yuck anyone's yum it's true. So, um, Nick, are there any other uh, discussions on the nature of work that piqued your interest? Yeah. So, I mean, th- this movie's got all kinds of bad things we could also talk about. I'm glad we've stayed mostly in the positive. Um, but the one thing that I did want to make sure we touched on a little bit more deeply on Mike is this last sort of towards the end. And I do think this is a little bit maybe the thesis of the film. Mm-hmm. Um and it's through Randall's character because this is there's not a lot of movies where you follow any employee on any job just sort of like literally from the moment they wake up to the moment they clock out. They're just you're just following them on their day of the job. Right. Right. Um, and Randall says, you know, he's making this argument to Dante. Does title dictate behavior? Mm-hmm. And I think he do, I can't even remember what ridiculous thing he does now, but he like you know, slapped him in the face or something and said like, Oh, I couldn't have done that if I was, you know, a good upstanding clerk. Right. (laughs) So clearly my title of clerk does not dictate my behavior because Mm -hmm. I can do this thing that is against the title of being a clerk. Now, the reason I want to talk about that is because like, I think there's that deeper philosophical piece to it to some degree, but it's also an important piece in IO psychology to recognize, like just giving someone title is mm-hmm. not actually the thing that alone is going to then dictate all of their behavior, right? It is one uh, potential thing yeah. that gives you a framework for what behaviors you want, but to okay. get the behavior, to elicit any desired behavior from an employee, mm-hmm. there's all kinds of things you have to do with making sure you've hired the right employee. So, mm-hmm. you know, 
maybe don't hire someone like Randall probably for being a clerk. <laughs> but also, um, thinking about what motivates a person, going back to that autonomy and the competence and making someone feel sure. like what they're doing matters, you know? Um, and so, yeah, I just think that that's an important piece for us to always think about the nature of work. And especially now, I think post COVID people are starting to have this sort of almost revolution is probably too strong of a word, but really thinking about like, is my job the most important thing about who I am and what dictates my behavior? Yeah. Uh, and so I think that's an important conversation to have. And and to that point, I, I uh, have been spending a lot of time on two subreddits uh, recently. One is uh, anti-work and uh, work reform. So I've been spending a lot of time on these two subreddits and it speaks to what you were saying about work reform and and wanting this post covid and i not that i don't love my job i just got tenure and and so like i'm i'm in it for the long haul and Congrats. uh but i i do appreciate the the sentiments in anti work and uh, the subreddit anti work and and the subreddit work reform because both of them while one has a more provocative name than the other <laughs> both of them are trying to better working in capitalism most of it is mm -hmm. is uh, U S based um, but the the you know some of the the posts go back to um, people post uh, pictures of emails and text messages all the time from their employers or their managers mm -hmm. um, where they're being asked to do a Dante. Mm -hmm. And um, they're like, no. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I would imagine that, you know, Dante would be posting in Reddit if it existed, trying to get some anti-work cred, but failing mm -hmm. Mm. So, so much because people are going to be like, dude, you you just say no to your employer. The quick stop doesn't open that day if the guy has yeah. like explosive diarrhea and you want to and, and the manager or the owner wants to uh, abscond up to Vermont. Right. You tell him, no, that's what people were saying these days. And I think that was not the culture in the 1990s or leading up to the 90s. Uh, either I would I, I would argue not even it's still just now becoming yeah, you're a right. conversation in the culture you're right you know and, and and there's still pushback and and I actually think I have been thinking about this a lot and it's larger broader macroeconomic implications you know talking about sort of just the fact that our country uh, and and many other Western civilizations have always focused on GDP as sort of the recognition of a healthy economy right, right. and so it's the idea of you always should be growing your GDP no matter what. Yeah. But that also inevitably has larger implications for employee well-being. It has larger implications for our impact on the environment. Yep. You know, maybe we need to be thinking about other metrics at even a macro scale that would sort of change the culture. Cause that's one of the things when we talk about organizational culture is how it's, it's, uh, it's, it's an open system, right? Mm -hmm. It's not, it's not influenced. It's not existing in a vacuum. It exists because of the larger culture that it is a part of too. Yeah. I agree with that. And um, just to round out this discussion here, I think Randall would be an excellent shit poster on <laughs> our anti-work. Yes. He would have all the funny quips. <laughs> well, that's going to do it for this episode. I want to thank Nick Baldwin for joining me to discuss Clerks. Before we say goodbye, Nick, is there anything that you'd like to plug? I think I mentioned a podcast. <laughs> Where can folks find more about you and the work you do? Sure. Um, so you can find me personally at Twitter, Instagram, and on Letterboxd because I'm a movie fan. Uh, and all of those handles, it's at Nick Loves Movies. That's N-I-C, Nick, and L-U-V, love, at Nick Loves Movies. Uh, I post about IO psychology on there. I retweet lots of things and, and uh, at IO psych memes, for example, is one that you'll see me reposting. And that's some funny stuff there related yes, to IO psych. I, I do enjoy that. 
Um, but then my wife and I actually sort of our pet project, my little hobby is we have a podcast together that is a monthly release called in love with movies. Uh, and so that monthly podcast, we, you know, kind of exactly what the, the name sounds like. We talk about love and relationships. And then we also talk about movies and especially kind of movies through the framework of either getting to know each other, my wife and I, uh, about, you know, the movies that kind of made us and, and it gives us this deeper understanding of each other and our histories and our motivations. Love it. Uh, or we have a guest on uh, that, you know, talks about their history with the movie mm-hmm. and sort of why it's important to them and how it feeds into things like that. And that then always affords us the opportunity to get someone else's perspective on yeah. relationships because we are by no means experts. We're just, you know, uh, you know, a couple of years into our really our marriage and uh, we like sharing our exploration. I think I was thinking about this earlier today. If I were to go back and listen to episode one from a couple of years ago, I think mm-hmm. it's a very different Nick then than it is now. And that's part of a relationship. And so that's one of the things that we like to share with our guests. And uh, if you want to know more about some of the deep personal thoughts of Mr. Alex, Dr. Alex Swan, um, then you come listen to a recent uh, our December episode and you'll hear more of his thoughts there as well. Uh, yeah. There you can follow us, sorry, at In Love With Movies. That's the letter N, Love With Movies, all spelled out like normal. And we are on Instagram, <laughs> Twitter, and hi for that. Yes, and I will link all of this, including that um, episode. Um, as I mentioned at the top of our chat, uh, I was on that December episode talking about It's a Wonderful Life and and how I met uh, my wife, Astrid, who um, many of you of my listeners have heard her voice on the show mm-hmm. and um, in a little bumper ad that I have. And um, so you know, a little, little about that. Again, I will link that. I will link all of these uh, lovely ways to find Nick. He is definitely someone to uh, follow for movie stuff if you are a movie fiend like me. And um, yeah, I really appreciate you coming on and chatting clerks with me, uh, Nick. Yeah, it really genuinely is always a pleasure to talk movies with you, Alex. So anytime. You bet. All right, that's going to do it for this episode. Until the next one, thanks for listening. Thank you.